Wow, it's good to be here, good to be with you this morning, and I'm excited about just uh, the Lord's Supper, our service, being able to sing together, uh, being able to hear the Word of God, and, and uh, it's just, uh, I've just been really excited about today, and I hope you are too. Uh, I was thinking this week, as uh, it was a couple of days that were a little cooler, we actually slept a couple of evenings with the uh, windows open, and uh, uh, you know, it was kind of a little touch of fall in the air, that was kind of cool, I was reminded of a, of a, a couple uh, that uh, during the summer, uh, they would always go up to the Iowa State Fair, and uh, they started this uh, process uh, kind of in their middle ages, uh, uh, not the middle ages, but their middle ages, uh, a man named Morris and a woman named Esther, and they would always go up to the Iowa State Fair, and every year, Morris would see the helicopter rides, and he would say, wow, I would love to go on those helicopter rides, wouldn't you? And Esther said, well, that would be kind of neat, but, uh, you know, it's $50, and $50 is, after all, $50. And so they didn't go. And so year after year, the same thing took place. Morris would see the helicopter and say, man, I would love to go on that, wouldn't you? And Esther would say, yeah, I would, I would like to go on it, but, you know, $50 is $50. And so that's a lot of money. And, and so this happened all the time. And finally, one year, they went through this uh, kind of same rigmarole again. And, and the pilot heard them, uh, overheard them talking. And he said, hey, guys, let me make you all a deal. I'm going to take you up in the helicopter for the ride, and, and if you can be quiet the whole time and not say one single word, it'll be free. But if you talk or you scream or you get excited and say anything at all, you've got to pay the $50, okay? So they decided they'd take him up on the deal. So they went up in the helicopter, and he went side to side and up and down and all around, all as crazy as he could possibly do without crashing the, the helicopter. And finally he got down on the plane, not a peep out of him. He looked back at Morris and he said, Man, I can't believe you did that. Uh, you guys were quiet the whole time. He said, well, I did almost say something when Esther fell out, but $50 is, after all, $50. Well, anyway. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm excited about this morning because I just, I love the Word of God, and I love what it teaches us and what it says to us. Uh, I love what it helps us see and what it helps us understand about our life. And uh, uh, this morning, we're going to talk about the Jerusalem Council. Uh, if somebody upstairs could help me out, I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to talk about the Jerusalem Council, and we're not going to have the uh, opportunity uh, this morning uh, to read through the whole passage up front, uh, but we are going to read it as we go along, uh, just so that we can kind of see what it teaches us, what it tells us, and uh, uh, see where it's at. So let's start right now with this. Here's the first thing that happens in Acts chapter 15. That's kind of where we're at, and it's an important debate of doctrine uh, infiltrates the church. Now, remember, the church is pretty young still, uh, but this is an important matter of doctrine. Now, listen, this is not a matter of opinion. This is not like, oh, some people like traditional music and some people like contemporary music. This is not, oh, like, some people like to dress up for church and some people like to come to church in jeans. These are not these personal preferences that sometimes we deal with today. This is a huge, huge debate of important doctrine, and it's infiltrating the church. Let's see what it is in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So let's paint the picture here. Okay. Some men came from the area of Judea. Now, in the area of Judea was the city of Jerusalem. And this is the area around where Jerusalem was. So these men came up from around the area of Jerusalem, which was where the church was birthed. 
It was where the Holy Spirit first fell. It was where uh, the, the Jewish sect of Christianity first began, if you've been following along with us through the book of Acts. Uh, but these men came from Judea, and they came up to the church at Antioch. Now, if you remember, Antioch is where Paul and Barnabas were. It's where they had just gone on the first missionary journey from and come back there. Now, these men coming from the Jerusalem area uh, may have said that they came from the Jerusalem church, or at least uh, that was kind of probably thought about in some way. They had some kind of authority, and they came into the church at Antioch, and they, they taught this doctrine. Now, listen, these Jews were zealous for the law. And they expected God to set up his earthly kingdom through the Jewish nation. And they were trying to wrap their arms around this Christian movement that was happening inside and being kind of a sect of Judaism. They were trying to keep it inside Judaism. They went to Antioch because it was the hub of the church spreading to the Gentiles. Now by this time, after Paul and Barnabas had come back from their first missionary journey, thousands and thousands and thousands of Gentiles had now come to know Christ as their Savior and were following Him. And their message was pretty simple. Circumcision was a prerequisite to becoming a Christian. That's what they were saying. In other words, you can't just become a Christian by repenting of your sins and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You also have to be circumcised. Now, the, the wording there is very interesting. Paul and Barnabas had a great amount of argument with them. In other words, this probably went on for hours. This was a long debate. Now, I don't know if you've ever been at a church meeting that has been gone on for hours and people debating it. They aren't fun, okay? They aren't fun at all. And that's what was happening here. They had this long debate that took place. Paul and Barnabas were saying, wait a minute. Jesus had commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, not circumcising them. Jesus told us to do that, not this. So the church decides at Antioch, sends Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and the elders there of the church. Uh, the timing of this was probably around 50 AD, so it had been about 17 years after the resurrection of Christ. Now this is a big deal, folks. This is, a, this is a big, big deal. And it could split the church. It could destroy it from within. And so they decide that uh, Paul and Barnabas, who are kind of representing Antioch, the hub of the Gentiles believing, they're going to go down to Jerusalem, uh, where uh, most of the leaders were still in the Jerusalem church, were Jewish by birth and by, by practice, and figure this thing out. Because it was going to really tear them apart if they didn't. So we see that the Jerusalem council is convened. Look in verses 3 through 6. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Now the Jewish leaders claim circumcision is required. It's required to follow Christ, to even 
be converted, you must be circumcised. Now, this passage can be translated, they must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, or it can also be uh, translated, uh, they must be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. Now, some people will say that's an important uh, difference. But it's not going to be an important difference because of the answer that comes. Now, I get asked a lot of questions all the time, uh, doctrinal questions, and for many varied reasons. All right? Uh, uh, many times the question being asked is not really the complete question. There's an ulterior question that comes three or four or five questions later. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, like, for instance, uh, somebody contacted me and said, Hey, I have a question. Uh, is it okay if a couple is only married in the eyes of God and not in the eyes of the state? Well, it depends. If your boyfriend is trying to convince you to live with him and be married in the eyes of God, but not the state, no, that's not okay. If persecution raises up in our country to the level uh, that the church no longer recognizes the state's marriage licenses, and we, uh, the church, kind of as a whole, decides that we're going to control marriage and the way that it's run, perhaps it could be. But generally, those questions are not really for the question they're asking. There are two or three or four questions later that we really get to the heart of the matter, if you know what I mean. That's kind of what was happening here. Many times that question is not really the question. Now, whether the claim is, and keep the law of Moses, which includes the whole law of the Pentateuch, or in order to keep the law of Moses, doesn't make any difference. Only the answer makes a difference, and we'll get to that in a little bit. By the way, it's important that you have a brief understanding of the law and what its purpose was in the first place, because if we don't understand that, folks, we don't ever really understand what's happening here. There were really three main purposes of the law. The first was to distinguish Israel from of the world. The law was given to the Israelites. They were God's chosen people. It was, it was given to them for one reason, was to separate them from all the other nations of the world, to let everybody see that they had been given something from God that nobody else had received. Another reason is to restrain mankind uh, from just being wild beasts, okay, to, to, to bridle them in some way, uh, sort, of like, uh, sort of like a speed limit. Uh, now, I won't speak for myself, but let me just say in general... Uh, that, that when you are, or when we are driving uh, in a speed limit of 60 miles an hour, that speed limit doesn't uh, uh, keep us from going 61, but it does bridle us in some way, right? We might go 65 or even push 70 a little bit, but we don't go 95 because we don't want to pay the penalty that comes from breaking the law that much. And so the law was given to restrain mankind, to, to keep them from just being beasts in the world. And the third and most important reason the law was given was to diagnose sin. Was to diagnose sin. Much like an MRI. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an MRI, but when you go and have an MRI, that is done to diagnose a medical problem. But it doesn't provide the cure, does it? The law was given, much like an MRI, to show mankind what his problem was to reveal the disease in his heart, but at the same time providing no cure. Like a mirror revealing man to his own sinfulness, the law reveals to us who we truly are. It has never, 
and will never provide justification to God for sin. So what happens when the meeting gets convened? Well, let's see. Peter reminds them of the salvation of the Gentiles. Look in verses 7 through 9. And after there had been much debate again, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter reminds them of the salvation of the Gentiles. And his argument is really good. And what he tells them is, guys, your problem is really with God, not with us. Did you see the wording that he used there? He didn't say, I went down and talked to these guys. He said, God made the choice. He decided that I should testify Christ to them. Do you remember? He was told in a dream to go down and talk uh, and spread the, the gospel to the Gentiles. He, God, decided that the Gentiles should hear and believe. He gave them the Holy Spirit just like us. He is the one who made no distinctions between us, and He cleansed their hearts by faith. If you've got a problem with this, your problem's not with me. Your problem's with God. And He also connects justification by faith and sanctification by the Holy Spirit as a simultaneous act that cannot be separated. He said, those who have been justified by faith are the ones who have received the Holy Spirit. And if you have received the Holy Spirit, that means you've been justified by faith. Those are not two separate acts. They are one act of text simultaneously. Because he's seen it over and over. But he reminds them how God reached down and saved the Gentiles. It wasn't by the apostles' planning or strategy. It was by God's merciful hand and God's ultimate will. And then Peter asks an important question about adding Judaism to the gospel. Look what he says in verses 10 and 11. He says, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. In a way, he chastises them for testing God. In essence, what the Pharisees were asking is, hey, you know, you're, you're leading all these people to Jesus, and they're not becoming a part of Judaism. Does God really know what he's doing here? Is he really on top of things? Because this doesn't look right to us. We thought Christianity was going to be uh, all inside uh, the Jewish faith. And now it's spreading outside of it. We've got to bring them in. Peter increases the question to include the law of Moses because he defines their effort to placing a yoke or burden on the disciples that neither our fathers nor we could bear. Now some would say that this is only talking about circumcision and that's all that it talks about. But folks, he's talking about the whole law because a circumcision can be bared. Okay? It, it can be done. A person can bear that. But a curse, person can't bear the whole law. A person can't 
perform every act in the law. This yoke or burden that he's saying, look, we couldn't, we couldn't bear it. Our dads couldn't bear it. Their fathers, their fathers, their fathers. None of us could bear it. It wasn't just circumcision. It was the full law because what he's saying is, look, guys, I get what the law was for. I haven't been able to live up to it. You haven't been able to live up to it. You, 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 you. Look, we haven't been able to live up to it. Oh, by the way, our fathers and our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers couldn't live up to it either. Why in the world will we put this burden on somebody else that we can't handle? We were born Jews. We were raised Jews. We've been Jews our whole life. Why would we not put this burden on somebody else when we can't even bear it? That's a great question. That's a great question. They could not fulfill the entire law because the purpose of the law is not to confirm righteousness and justification, but to reveal the futility of men to be righteous. The law of Moses is a burden, but the grace of Jesus Christ provides freedom. We'll get to that more in a minute. So Paul or Peter asks this important question. And then Paul and Barnabas, they relate their experiences. So this big, long debate happens. Finally, Peter stands up, and he says what he says. And then Paul and Barnabas get up right after that, and they share what they've experienced. Let's see what they say. In verse 12, And all the assembly fell silent when Peter asked that question. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. While Peter had been the first to share the gospel with Gentiles, Paul and Barnabas were the most experienced experts in this area. They had gone, if you remember, to city after city after city, seeing people come to know Christ as their Savior. They had returned from their first missionary journey, where many Jews and Gentiles turned to Christ. They simply got up and testified of the facts that they had seen and heard firsthand. This is not Joe told Bob, told Jimmy, and now I'm telling you. They're saying, look guys, we saw this. We experienced this. God has called the Gentiles to salvation. Paul would later write to the church at Galatia. By the way, this question continued to plague the church uh, pretty much through the rest of the first century. People struggled with this. But look what he says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through 6. Paul writes this. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision as a way of salvation, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Here we see that circumcision was at the heart of the Mosaic Law. And seen by Paul at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as in opposition to grace. He's saying they're opposed to each other, guys. You wanna you wanna live by law? Go ahead, live by law. But you've got to keep it all, man. If you put your foot in this camp, you gotta live here. And Paul's saying, I don't want any part of that. I want grace. 
Whew. Power grace. I know who I am. I don't want to live there. I want to live here. And Paul's saying, guys, you can't have it both ways. You can't sit here and say, I'm going to practice the law. I'm going to continue to be a Jew and practice the law and be justified by, by my, my law, my law-abiding ways, my righteousness. You can't do that and accept grace. But if you stay over here and you say, I, I'm going to take law, and you don't follow it all, wow, you stand before God judge. Now, folks, I've broken the law. I'll bet you have to. And that's why I like this side. I want God's grace every day and twice on Sunday. I don't want that. I want grace. God's undeserved, the, the undeserved love of God for me. I have done nothing to gain it. I have done nothing to earn it. I have, no, I have done op, op, the opposite of earning it. And yet he says, I still love you. I still send my son to die for you because I love you. Here's a gift for you. All you got to do is reach out and take it. And I will take that any day, any day. This is a watershed moment in history, folks. In God's redemptive process of mankind, there is a huge shift taking place here. I want you to see that because here's what's happening. Christianity is becoming its own thing out of Judaism, not residing inside Judaism. Christians are not Jews on steroids. Okay? It's a different thing. And Jews are welcome into it. And Gentiles are welcome into it. And Jesus says, anybody who's welcome is welcome. Come on. Put your faith and trust in me. Come on. You're welcome. But if you choose to live by the law, you can remain inside Judaism, but you'll remain outside Christianity. After Paul and Barnabas share their thoughts, James summarizes the conclusion to not burden the Gentile converts with the Jewish law. Look what it says in verses 13 through 21. It says, After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. This is from Amos. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. I know the last part of that passage is kind of weird. And you go, what? What is he saying there? That's kind of crazy. Okay, let's talk about the first part first. It is likely that James, who is the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, has become the lead pastor in Jerusalem. He stands up and basically says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just summarize everything that we've heard here. I'm going to summarize what's been shared, and we see, we're going to see later next week uh, that the whole church was in agreement with it. But he becomes kind of lead pastor in Jerusalem. He expresses a conclusion. He stands and gives it. And what he basically says is this. Look, guys, many of the Old Testament prophets 
spoke of the nations and specifically the Gentiles being gathered into God's family. And he quotes Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. What he's saying is, guys, we thought that, that, that the Messiah would come and set up an earthly kingdom. We thought it would be inside Judaism. We thought all of the Gentiles would be gathered by the Jews. But that's not what's happened. Jesus has come and, and the Gentiles are invited into his family without even becoming Jews. He says, let's not trouble the Gentiles who turn to God. Let's not, let's not bother them with these burdens that they don't need. Except, except, and then he lists four things that are ongoing practices. Now here's how I know that they weren't still talking about simply circumcision and that alone. They were talking about the entire law. And that's because the things that he says are ongoing principles. Tell the Gentile believers to abstain from these things, not in order to be saved, but as they live life. In fact, uh, we'll see that more next week because they're going to send a letter to the uh, Gentile churches about these four things. And we'll talk about them more next week. These are practices after deciding to follow Jesus, not prerequisites for becoming a Christian. James is suggesting in those four things that the law of love supersedes everything. In other words, he's saying do these things because you as Gentiles ought to love your Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, and these four things are really important to them. We'll talk about it next week. But by including only these four things, he answered the question as to the rest of the Jewish law, that it was not necessary to follow as Gentile believers. No matter what the question was that was asked, that was the question that was answered. So, after all of this, what is the application takeaway for us today? I think there's only one, but it's a really, 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 really big one. It's a big one. And that is, do not add to or subtract from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I think many times we add or subtract from the gospel without really even realizing it. Think about this with me for a minute. Uh, maybe we hear uh, ourselves say this, or we hear our, in our minds even just think these things. Man, that guy smokes like a chimney. He can't possibly be saved. Really? Where is that in the scripture? Oh, listen, I'm not trying to encourage you to do that. All I'm saying is, is that a prerequisite of being saved? No. But we sometimes say silly things like that. Oh, she doesn't even believe the Bible in this particular area like I do. She can't possibly be saved. Really? Really? Everybody thinking like us is now a prerequisite of going to heaven? Think about that for a minute. When we add perfect behavior or beliefs other than who and what Jesus is to the gospel as a prerequisite for salvation, we have done the same thing that these Jews have done. Same thing, guys. We're adding to the gospel. We don't maybe consciously believe this, but... We need to make sure that we aren't thinking these things or, or letting our minds go this direction. Because what it really reveals is our misunderstanding of the gospel. What it really says is, if I believe that person can't be saved because they don't act like I do, I don't understand the gospel. I don't really get it. I don't need to worry about their salvation. I need to worry about my own salvation. Do not add to the gospel. But it's also important that we don't subtract from the gospel. The good news of Jesus is that we could not live up to the law 
And so God sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life and completely fulfill the law. Then he gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins and rose from the dead three days later to confirm his identity and his sacrifice for us. A person must realize that their ability to be good in the eyes of God is an impossibility. The law reveals that. If I took three minutes with you and we sat down and we went through the Ten Commandments, just that part of the law, we'd see that we've broken some. And Paul says if you've broken one, you've broken them all. The law reveals that we are at a loss to save ourselves. Therefore, the need for someone to pay the price is there, and Jesus has done that. We must put our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to pay for their, our sins and turn our lives over to him by faith, and that and that alone. Nothing less is the gospel. Nothing. Listen, trying to be good will never save you. Going to church, being baptized, following the moral teachings of Jesus, being religious, serving others, on and on, on and on, on and on, on and on, none of it will do a thing for you. Only the gospel can save a person's soul. Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now the word end in this verse really means it's, it's a goal, it's the destination. It's the completion. Christ is the completion of righteousness. And we get credit for that through faith in Him. Now that's the good news. Michael, are you saying that the law in the Old Testament doesn't matter? Heavens, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it must be completely fulfilled. Every bit of it. And Jesus did that for us. That's what I'm saying. Because we could not. Folks, this is a monumental time in the life of the church. This is a monumental time that will change the course of history for the church. Jesus is available to everybody. And you don't have to do anything to be saved because you can't do anything to be saved. Jesus has already done it all. All we have to do is believe that and accept it. Folks, that, there is no better news on this planet. No better news on this planet than that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the gospel. We thank you for the truth that your word teaches us. We thank you for the gospel that saves us. Father, thank you for this good news. I pray that you would help us as we live our lives, as we, as we just uh, do our thing day by day, that the gospel will just... Uh, just somehow sear into our minds and our hearts the truth of it so that we won't add to it or subtract from it. Father, we know that we are destitute without you. We are as far from you as we could possibly be. But Father, we thank you that we have been brought close to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. As we think about and remember the Lord's Supper today, I pray that you would just Remind us every day of what you have done for us, that the gospel will be true and real in our lives, that it will dictate everything about who we are, what we say, where we go, how we act, how we interact with others. Father, we thank you. We thank you that the burden has been lifted through the completion of the law in your Son, Jesus Christ. 
In his name we pray. Amen.